strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Hi and welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Robin. And I'm Jen. So Jen, picture this. Yes, ma'am. Deep inside Brazil's Amazon rainforest sits the neglected remains of what looks like an industrial town. Oh my God. One of the first things you'll see upon entering is a water tower with a faded mm-hmm. Ford logo. Yep. That's yep. because almost a century ago, the founder of Ford Motor Company, Henry Ford, turned that space of land into not only a business operation, but a social experiment. This is a tale of Fordlandia. I know this story. It's so awesome. This is how I ended up learning all about rubber. <laughs> this is, It started there and I just, I spiraled so hard. Spoiler alert. The year was 1928. Mr. Henry Ford had broke ground on Fordlandia, a rubber-producing town in Brazil that he envisioned that would supply his car factories with rubber and serve as a model industrial society. Henry once implemented social reform in his treatment of workers, but at the same time, he also revolutionized the automobile industry and invented the 40-hour work week. In the- well, thank you, Henry Ford. I know. Fuck you. I mean, I don't know. People were working like 100 hours a week before that. I know. I just want to just be in, live in Italy and just have, you know... Three-hour lunches. But don't they work till like, 8, 9 o'clock at night? Yeah, but they have a long break in the middle. The long break in the middle is because lunch is basically, like, the most important meal over there. But also, yeah. be- because of the economic growth right now, or I should say population growth, Italy is now uh, extending lunch hours so people can go home and have sex so they can have babies. Well, yeah, because their population was declining, mm-hmm. and now it's even worse. Thank you, COVID. In the late 1920s, Henry decided to get into producing his own rubber for Ford Motors and built his vision of a perfect company in a city in Brazil. Believing he could impose American customs and assembly line order on workers from a totally different culture, he built a city capable of housing 10,000 people. This city was called Fordlandia, one of the 20th century's most ambitious failed utopias. This city would have a pool, a hospital, and even a school. With the invention of the tire and combustion engine at the end of the 19th century, horseless carriages was the new world. For years, the car remained that of the wealthy and the privileged, leaving working and middle-class people to rely on trains, horses, and leather shoes. That all changed in 1908 when Ford's Model T became the first affordable automobile priced at just $260, which today in 2020 would be about $3,835. Man, that seems wildly unfair. Inflation sucks. Because mm-hmm. like my shit heap Nissan is like almost a $40,000 car. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing special. No. I would much rather have a Model T. There was 15 million sold in less than 20 years. And each of those cars depended on tires, hoses, and other parts to function, these parts that were made of rubber. From about 1879 to 1912, rubber production in the Amazon boomed. However, that changed thanks to English rubber tapper and explorer Henry Wickham, who transported thousands of rubber seeds to British colonies in India. Henry Wickham figured that the trees could be grown more efficiently in India in the absence of the native fungi and pests that plague the trees in Brazil. And he was right. British plantations in Asia were able to grow rubber trees much closer together than it was possible in the Amazon, and they soon overthrew Brazil's rubber ownership. By 1922, British colonies produced 75% of the world's rubber. That year, Britain enacted the Stevenson Plan, limiting the volume of rubber exports and raising prices on the increasingly essential commodity. 
1925, then Secretary of Commerce Herbert Hoover said that the inflated rubber prices created by the Stevenson Plan threatened the American way of life. Thomas Edison, among other American industrialists, attempted to produce inexpensive rubber in America, but he was not successful. While all of this was happening, Henry Ford began dreaming of owning his own rubber plantation. He hoped to cut his production costs and demonstrated that his industrial ideals will result in improvements of workers anywhere in the world. He named his rubber town Fordlandia. Ignorant of the difficulties of creating a British-style rubber plantation in the Amazon, he concluded that rubber ought to be grown in its natural homeland of Brazil. In fact, Brazilian officials have been courting Henry Ford for years to attract his interest to rubber thriving, and he believed that he could use the land as a kind of a blank slate for his vision of the city of the future. He once said, We are not going to South America to make money, but to help develop that wonderful and fertile land. His utopian aspirations weren't entirely untrue. By 1926, the Ford Motor Company was at the forefront of a revolution in transportation, labor, and U.S. society. Apart from his innovation in cars, Ford's ideas about how to treat his workers were a marvel during this time. Employees at his Dearborn plant earned the unusually high wage of $5 a day, plus they enjoyed excellent benefits and healthy social environment in the clubs, libraries, and theaters popping up around Detroit. It's like Google today. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, well, just, you know, I feel like you might just need a nap or like a massage. He was convinced that his ideas about labor and society would work no matter where they were. He was determined to prove himself right. In 1926, he sent an expert from the University of Michigan to survey possible sites for rubber plantation. Eventually, he settled on a location on the banks of the Tapajos River in Brazil's Para State. In 1928, the British backed out of the Stevenson Plan, once again leaving rubber prices to the free market. The plan to begin rubber production in the Amazon no longer made financial sense, but Henry carried on with his utopian plan. He secured 2.5 million acres of free land, promising to pay 7% of Forlandia's profits to the Brazilian government and 2% to local municipalities after 12 years in operation. Though the land was initially free, he spent about $2 million on the supplies that he would need to build a city from scratch. Forlandia was officially founded then, and a sawmill and a water tower were erected and the water tower bore the familiar Ford Motor logo. Ford's goal was to manufacture 38,000 tons of latex from his rubber plantation. He would then ship this product to his factories in Detroit, Michigan. Forest was cleared to make way for rubber crops. However, land was cleared not just for the rubber plantation, but for the town to house 10,000 people. Yeah, I mean, that's going to take a little bit of acreage. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Plus, with his plans, when he, once he got there, he sent two ships to Brazil carrying every last piece of equipment needed to build rubber-producing town from the ground up, including generators, picks, sho- shovels, clothing, books, medicine, boats, prefabricated buildings, and even a gigantic supply of frozen beef so that his management team wouldn't have to rely on the tropical food. To supervise his new project, he appointed Willis Blakely an alcoholic exhibitionist who scandalized the inhabitants of the Brazilian city of Bellum by walking around his hotel balcony naked and frequently going to bed with his wife in a full view of the city's high society. I mean, you know, he's just a little bit of a, he's got a little kink. (laughs) Willis was tasked with building a town in the middle of the jungle, complete with white picket fences and paved roads, with clocks that were set to Detroit time and prohibition enforced. But as effect... Even though he was the alcoholic yeah, exhibitionist. A little bit of a hypocrisy. But as 
effective as he might have been in Michigan, he had no idea how to manage a jungle outpost and knew nothing about rubber or the Amazon. Willis finally broke ground on Fordlandia before his incompetence grew to be too much for Henry Ford, and he was replaced later on in 1928 with a Norwegian sea captain, Inar Oxholm. All right, then. Oxholm wasn't much better. He was in no way qualified to manage the rubber trees, which had to be imported from Asia after local growers refused to sell seeds to Henry Ford. Huh. What's worse is that the useless Willis had planted the trees too close together, encouraging huge populations of parasites and pests to infest on the crops and ruin the rubber. The 3,000 local employees had come to work for an eccentric industrialist expecting to be paid the $5 a day that the northern employees enjoyed, and thinking that they would be able to live their lives much as they had before, and was able to say, I work for America's Henry Ford. Instead, they learned that they would receive 35 cents per day. They were also forced to live on company property in American-style homes built on the ground instead of their traditional dwellings, which were elevated to keep tropical insects out. Workers were also forced to wear American-style clothing and name tags, had to eat unfamiliar foods like oatmeal and canned peaches, were denied alcohol, and were strictly forbidden to associate with women. For entertainment, Henry Ford pushed square dancing, poetry by Emerson and Logfellow, and gardening. I'm sorry, so they're square dancing, just a bunch of dudes are square dancing and eating canned peaches. Uh Uh-huh. But this was completely out of their norm. They wanted to live in their beautiful homes with their families and just go to work every day and come home. They thought that was a life, but they were forced to live in American-style homes, dress in American clothing, eat the American food, do the American line dancing and poetry reading and gardening. They're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, it we, is, don't, we know nothing about this. It is wildly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On top of that, the workers used to the slower pace of rural Brazil were being subjected to shift whistles, timesheets, and strict orders for efficient movement of their own bodies. In December of 1930, John Rogue, Oxholm's successor as manager, began to dock the workers' pay to cover the expense of their meals. He also fired the waiters who had previously brought workers their food, ordering them to use industrialized cafeteria lions instead. At this point, Henry Ford's Brazilian employees had had enough. Fordlandia's workforce launched into a full-scale revolt, cutting the telephone lines, chasing away the management into the jungle, and only dispersing when military officials showed up. <laughs> I loved how they chased them away into the jungle because it's kind of like, haha, try to try to survive that, you know? Good, like, luck, good luck with that, sir. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy your white pig fence. Yeah. I'll tell you where you can shove it. But this was only the beginning, and Henry Ford's dream of creating an industrial society in Brazil was beginning to dwindle. In 1933, the Ford's company management shifted most of its rubber production 80 miles down the river to Belterra, as rivalries within the company continued to prohibit productivity as revolt continued. By 1940, only 500 employees remained at Fordlandia, while 2,500 worked at the new site. Employees at Belterra weren't weren't subjected to the same restrictions as the first Fordlandia workers and happily kept to more traditional Brazilian customs, foods, housing, and working hours. Ford produced 750 tons of latex that year, falling short of the 38,000 tons he required for his annual numbers. That's like not even close. During World War II, rubber production in British colonies came to a halt. Unfortunately for Henry Ford, a leaf disease epidemic in his rubber plantations hurt his, produ- hurt his production numbers as well. In 1945, Henry Ford sold both his rubber plantations back to Brazil for just $250,000, although by this point he had spent about $20 million on his utopia. 
or about today's dollars would be $200 million. I mean, so I have to kind of like just stop you to talk about this just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a utopia if you go and force. The utopia that I have written here is in quotes. Of course, yeah. If you're going there to force your culture onto a different group of people, mm-hmm. not by their choice. It's not like a culturation where you're, you know, they're enjoying you being there. They're enjoying the American style foods. It's not urbanization or globalization, nothing like that. It's a, it's a forced new way of life. They even, I mean, I mentioned it before, they put all the clocks on Detroit time. It may as well have been a work camp, you know? I mean, as far as it goes. And to not be able to be there with your family, like, were they allowed to go home on the weekends? Mm-hmm. Or it's just like, no, I'm sorry. You don't ever get to see your family again. Or even, you know, the single men that want to go out into town and maybe meet a wife, you know, have a family. They were banned against all women. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, here, eat your oatmeal and go square dancing. It's very bizarre. And it's very to think that utopia for the people of Brazil in a Brazilian village is to act like a worker in Detroit. It's it's absurd. Mm-hmm. A Brazilian company called Latex Pastor continues to produce latex at Belterra, but Fordlandia remains abandoned. The American-style town that Henry Ford dreamed would house 10,000 workers is now home to about 2,000 people. Many of them are squatters. The blank slate Henry Ford imagined he would find in Brazil turned out to be inhabited by people with a robust culture of their own. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, people are not pl- like clay for him to mold into. It's such an incredibly elitist way of thinking. And so it, it's such privilege and the assumption that his culture is the best and that those people should be so lucky to be offered the white culture, the white American factory life culture is. Let's. um. Let's bulldoze 2.5 million acres of the Amazon rainforest and let's put up white, thick, white picket fences and roads and American homes that can fit 10,000 people and make everyone excited to work for, you know, America's Henry Ford, but only pay them 35 cents a day and change their entire lives from their home style, their, their, their food they're close like everything that made them who they are they had to get rid of and turn into an american overnight sucks it's not cool throughout this entire venture though henry ford never once set foot in fordlandia yep so that is the story of fordlandia the abandoned dream just another notorious narrative if you enjoy our episodes, you can also go to patreon.com slash Notorious Narratives, where you can access exclusive content. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to be notified when a new episode is available. Keep it weird and never stop exploring.